I can't remember when I started attending church. Uh, we were not asked if we wanted to go. We, it, was, it was just like breathing. When Sunday morning came, you went to Sunday school and you went to church. Didn't matter how deep the snow, because where I came from, you know, we had snow. But we had to put on our goulashes and go to Sunday school. In those days, they had revivals. They would have revivals in the Baptist church, and the, the minister, he would preach hell to you until I didn't want to burn up in hell, so I decided I would join church. <laughs> so I accepted Christ, and, and I was baptized at the age of 11. And in and, and my family, we were poor as, uh, as children, as a child. And my, the faith I saw in my mother, and how they trusted the Lord, because I can remember when five cents didn't have five cents for kerosene for the lamp. It just seemed like the Lord would send somebody by the house and give them a quarter. And we could go buy five cents worth of kerosene. Many years ago, when I married a man and we started, he, we, he already had one business, and a and, uh, uh, trucking business, then we opened up another business. Uh, we were He was robbed, and this, the strangest thing about that is I would carry him his meal down to the to the store uh, on the tray. I had already planned a menu for that day, and for some reason, I changed what I had planned originally and made his favorite steak, porterhouse steak, baked potatoes, and everything. That was his last meal. Uh, someone came in and they held him up. They shot him. He consequently uh, 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 was 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 in intensive care. For 11 days, the 11th night he passed. That hospital was just filled with people that evening that he was shot. Even the old people whom I thought should have been home in bed, they were there just praying for me. I just felt God's love and, and, and the people surrounding me. I just felt his, I, I just felt his presence so keenly. There comes a time in your life when you know that there's nobody else that can help you. My husband has been shot, he's dead, and people who have worked for me, some of them didn't want to be there again that soon afterwards. I had lost revenue, like I said, for a whole month. But it's amazing how the people, in, even at the bankers, said that lady's a hard-working lady, and they took a loss on that, on that business and let me out of it. Nothing but God. Because of the prayers and because of the faith I saw my, my mom have in the Lord and how he has shown himself to be faithful. Imagine you not having a nickel to buy kerosene and somebody comes to your house and gives you a little money. I, I mean, I, I witnessed this, you know. I saw this, 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 how faithful God had been over the years. And that same God proved himself to be faithful to me. To really trust in God means that you lean completely, you surrender to him. You have to surrender him because you can't see. If, if, if you knew the way out, you wouldn't need God, would you? I'm older. I'm 84 now, and um, neither of my parents lived to get near my age. And I have health challenges now, and every day of my life, I know I can't make it without him. I can't. I'm, I'm having uh, problems with my carpal tunnel. And people take things for granted. Everything, everything about us depends on him. That's great. It was worth showing up at church just to see that. 
we have we have the great I'm trying to look back there. Cronola, are you here this morning? She almost always is, right? Oh, there, right. We have a great church. We just need to get to know one another better. I mean, the stories of what God has done in so many lives, we need to find those out, don't you think? And this one that Cornola has told, and be sure to see her, she's there in the back. You'll get a good hug if you go back and see her, um, is a story of God's faithfulness through hard times. Uh, to be faithful to him and then to find out that he is far more faithful than we could ever be. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, you know, I've been away the last um, two weeks. I was in uh, Asia, China uh, mostly. And I got to be with people who had gone through some really challenging times in their lives. And as they just kept saying to me, um, God proved himself to be faithful. Uh, I was in four different cities. Uh, gatherings of pastors from all over the city would come together. These, these pastors had often been fragmented or broken from one another, suspicious of one another. And yet uh, one of God's great servants brought them all together. And I'll tell you, I experienced... Uh, the outpouring of God's Spirit as I never have in my entire life. Uh, I pray that we might see that happen here more and more among us. Um, from the very first day I got there, uh, we, we had breakfast at 8 o'clock, started the session about 8.30 or 9, and I taught until 10 o'clock at night every day for 9 or 10 days in a row. Now, would you stay and listen to me that long? I already know the answer to that one. I already know the answer to that one. And yet in, in those different cities, that's what we experienced. Uh, it's a good time for many of these uh, pastors now. They're experiencing more freedom and more opportunities than they ever had, though many of them have gone through really difficult times, uh, even being imprisoned for their faith and found God always always to be faithful. I, I have a few pictures just to show you, just, just a few to let you know a few of the things that are happening. This is a picture of a church. Let me see if we can get it up there in one city. I'm to, just to let you know this, uh, uh, the first song that was sung in that church that morning was Jesus Saves. And uh, this, this church was located just outside of the major shopping center in the city. And not only was the message broadcast into the church building, but they have speakers outside that broadcast the message of Jesus out into the shop. Now, I want us to see what happens here if we do that into old Pasadena. <laughs> Just to see what we're going to have happen uh, there. Um, I think we also have a sign that was just there on the outside of the church when you go in. And, and there it is for everyone to see on, on one side, on, on your left, it's in Chinese. On the right, it's John 3.16. To declare to everybody who walks by, the thousands and thousands of people who walk by, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, right there in a public arena. One other city I just want to show you, because a couple of our lake people were there too. Aha! Uh, just to let you know, that the little girl right down there, John Shigematsu down on one, two, row four, do you recognize her? That's little Faith Shigematsu. If you ever look in the back, you'll see her dancing during the music. So um, they were there, and her mom, Min, who is always a faithful part of our Asia a fellowship uh, here, were, were there and came down to visit us. Now, that sign 
is the sign that the, that the government put up because it commemorates the first Protestant church in the nation. It is a great celebration of the birthplace of Protestantism here. So their sides have become a major tourist part uh, of that city. And there's even a Christian bookstore that's nearby. In, in that church, uh, they preach the gospel. Uh, they have a discipleship program. I think it was built by Denny Repco of our church. And they even run an alpha program there. Just to let you know that there are th- God is doing an incredible work. And I pray that we will continue to see it here. Now, um, you know, usually on Tuesday afternoons, I meet with a group of our pastors and, and we talk about the text I'm going to be preaching about. And I wasn't with our pastors, but I was with a group of pastors there. And I said, will you do this with me? So we did it together. And we are looking at a text I've preached about before. It, it's the text that we just had read, uh, Revelation chapter 2. Verses 12 to 17, this great text about the church in Pergamum. And it's about a church group of people who had gone through really difficult times. And uh, they were called upon to be faithful in those difficult times. And I'll tell you, the discussion with the pastors that were there, this changed my whole way of looking at the text. And at the end, I said, what do you think I should preach to the people in Southern California and we got three points. So I want you to listen to this because I want to send a message back that I think people actually listened. And I want you to have ears to hear what God says. Are you ready to do that today? Uh, if you look on your worship folder, we have this one section. What did you hear from the Lord today? I want you even now say, Lord, I, w- I have ears to hear your voice uh, speak to me. And at the end, I'll give you just a moment to write what you might hear from the Lord today. And my prayer is that you will obey what you hear. Um, We come to the city of Pergamum in our study of seven churches in in Asia Minor that's now Turkey. I'll tell you, it was a beautiful, beautiful, magnificent city in the northern part of what is now Turkey. I have a picture of it here. It's just so magnificent. It's kind of down in a valley area with mountains around the the sides. It it was a very wealthy city, a a well-educated city, a city for science. It was the entertainment mecca of that part of the world. Uh, I'll tell you, it's it's, it's the place where the rich and the powerful and the good-looking lived. And yet, in spite of all that, it was a hard place to live as a faithful Christian. And the Christians there were were facing enormous external persecution, but also internal temptation to sort of give in, not be distinctive in the way that they live and become like everyone around you. Now, one of the things we talked about is, whenever you are in that situation where it's really hard to be faithful, to, to, to say, I follow Jesus, I'm going to live for him. Uh, we who are Christians have several options, don't we? One is, in a, in a hard place, to say, I'm going to leave. Uh, my mom used to say, if it gets any worse around here, we're going to go to Australia or someplace. And sometimes we have that tendency to think, I'm going to leave and get to an easier place. I'll leave my church, I'll leave my job. Sometimes, you know, we even have a temptation to leave the faith altogether or to withdraw from living in the world and just have our Christian things instead of really engaging with the world. So leaving is one possibility. A second one is to say, I belong to Jesus. He gave his life for me and I'm going to be faithful to him. Whatever it costs. That's a second way that we can go. Or a third is that we can stay there and say, well, I'll keep going to church and, but accommodate 
to the way everybody else lives. So that we don't look so weird. And so that nobody is really going to persecute somebody who's just like them. So those seem to be the three options. And those were the options that were all being lived out in Pergamum. And Jesus addresses these in the letter that he sent to Pergamum. Now, as I was talking with these pastors, they said, okay, here are the message, here's the message that you need to give to your people. Three, three proposals, three, three statements. Number one, that faithfulness to Jesus in difficult times, faithfulness often involves a conscious choice to obey God in the face of the adversity. Does that make sense to you? Have you ever faced those times where you just knew, okay, am I going to live in a way that's easier? This is what I think God would have me to do. And you make a conscious choice that you're going to be faithful to God. So look at verse 13 again. In Jesus' words uh, to them, he knew they were living in a hard place. These are the words of him who has this double, sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. All right, what does he say about it? It's where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. That very phrase means not only in your witness, but also in your life. Your life represents what my name represents. You're living for me in in that city. And you did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas. My faithful witness. I'll just stop there again. The word witness is our word for martyr. That when we give witness to Jesus, it it can be very costly. And in fact, it did for him. Who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Now, talk about a tough place to live as a Christian. Uh, Jesus himself said it's where Satan lives. He even says it's where Satan has his throne. Now, now we know that evil is everywhere in our world. So the feeling is often there that that the evil one resides in the city. But there's something about this city that it's a special place that looks like Satan's residence is there. That he'd even set up his throne in their city. What's going on? Well, there are a couple of things. Probably more than I could even ever know. But at least these two things. One is that it was a center of all sorts of religious activity, all sorts of temples that were there that seemed to permeate the city. Um, I've been to Pergamum several times. Um, As I said, it's a beautiful city, but on one side there is this hill that goes straight up about a thousand feet. And on the top of that hill there's sort of a flat place where there were dozens and dozens of pagan temples that were set up. But the biggest one was an altar, a huge altar that had been erected to Zeus, the god. And I think I have a picture just so you can see it. There's that cliff that's on the air. That's the ruins of the altar. And then show that next picture because on the, in Berlin you can go to a Pergamum museum. And there you would have not only that setting for it, but also a huge altar erected to Zeus that was on the top of that hill that absolutely dominated the city. You know, I often talk about the cross that's outside here right on the 210 that everybody who drives past sees it. This would even dominate the whole city far, far more. And I'm sure it felt oppressive to the Christians who were there. Uh, one of my favorite cities to fly into in the entire world is Seoul, Korea. Uh, many of you are from there. Uh, when you fly into Seoul, Korea from the United States, the flights always come in at night. 
And as the airplane comes flying in, I always like to get next. I don't usually like to sit next to the window, but going into Seoul, I want to because I want to look out. And if you've ever flown into Seoul, Korea, you'll see all over the city, on the top of the buildings, you'll see this red cross that is there. When I go in, my heart just soars. I I always think, oh, Lord, I have brothers and sisters in this city. (laughs) There, Your presence is in this great city. It would have been the opposite for Christians in Pergamum. It must have felt absolutely oppressive to know that they were in such a small, small minority in the city. That there was religious activity, but it was not their father who was at work. So that's one of the things. It must have felt that evil dominated the city. The second reason why I think Jesus would say that this is where Satan lives and Satan has his throne is the one thing that set Pergamum apart from the other seven churches that we'll be looking at this fall. And that was in this part of Asia, it was the seat of government authority. Um, It was the place where Rome, you know, Rome was in charge of everything. They had set up their authority in Asia uh, in Pergamum. And at that particular time, they had this uh, emperor, uh, his name was Domitian, who was a megalomaniac. Uh, I mean, his whole life just centered around himself. Uh, He had instituted that people who would come into his presence had to address him as my Lord and my God. Uh, A a story has been passed down through history. He loved to go to sporting events, and especially the gladiator events. And at one of the particular events, uh, he noticed that uh, his team of gladiators was getting beaten, and there were about 100 people off on one side who were cheering against his team. And what he had happen was immediately for those hundred people to be dragged out into the public place and slaughtered there in front of everyone. Because, he said, to cheer against my team is to cheer against God. I mean, that's the kind of king of there. So he had insisted, of course, that uh, everybody would have to acknowledge that he is the Lord and that he is the God. They could have their own gods, but he had to be one of them. But Christians could not do that. Now, I talked about this from the city of Smyrna the last time I was here. And I said in Smyrna you could lose your job or not get a place in school. But in Pergamon, if you did not acknowledge uh, the emperor, you could be put to death. And it's the first place in Asia where this man named Antipas was put to death. And yet he says, as hard as it is to live in this city with those problems... My people are there. Jesus saw that. And and his commendation is, uh, uh, you are faithful to my name. In fact, I love the way he puts it. I know where you live, is what he said to them. And that word for live is a word that means to, uh, to make a commitment to be in a place. You know, we often have different words for to live in a place in our language, don't we? Uh, In English, we have to live, uh, to dwell, uh, to reside. Well, one of the words for to live in a place uh, was peripedemeo. It took me a long time to be able to say that. It means to live in a place for a short time. Christians loved that term. That when things were really hard, and we still do, we thought, well, our real citizenship is in heaven. And as hard as it is, it's not going to last forever. (laughs) Jesus will come and everything will be made right. I was so sure that's the word that would be used here. I know where you live. It's not going to last forever. Be faithful. That's not the word that Jesus used. The word is katoiketo. 
and it means to make a commitment to live in a place. It's the word that Paul uses for Jesus coming into our hearts and dwelling richly. In his, he comes in, doesn't he? And he stays. And Jesus uses that for them. I, I know where you have made a commitment to live. Why does he say that? And I'll tell you, as I've thought about it, it's just been so moving. Because in that place where it was so hard to be a Christian, these Christians had made a commitment to be in that place. If there was going to be darkness in their city, the one who is the light of the world is going to have representatives in this city because light dispels darkness. And even if that darkness comes against us, even death itself cannot separate us from God. Amen? And if Satan is going to set up his throne in this city... We're going to make sure that the one who is the king over all kings, that the kingdom of God is going to be furthered in our city. We're going to give witness to Jesus in our city. We're going to live for him in our city and make a difference. I know where you live. They'd made a conscious commitment to being there. They knew that Jesus had said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. But they knew too that for that gates of hell to be pushed back, not every Christian could run at the slightest scent of sulfur. We couldn't just take off whenever we get into those hot places. We needed to know that Jesus is there. And Jesus said, you've been faithful to my name and I know where you live. You see what he's saying? I know sometimes the pressures that you face being there, being faithful to me. I know sometimes it feels like there is a loss to speak of me and to live for me. I I know that you have made a conscious commitment to go into that place, into that occupation, and represent me. I know where you live. That means I am with you when you are there. And I am pleased when you're faithful to my name. And so here's what my brothers... pastor said I had to pass on to you there will be times in your life too when you are going to have to stop and decide whether you will be faithful to God whatever the cost have you ever had one of those this doesn't just happen in other parts of the world in this world all of us face times when we have a hard decision to make Are we going to be faithful and represent Christ and speak of Him no matter what people push back in our schools or in our place of work? Let me tell you what these brothers told me. When you are faithful to His name, you will find that Jesus will know where you are. And He will be where you are And he will be pleased when you are faithful. That's the first thing I'll pass on to you. That faithfulness often involves a conscious choice. That I'm going to speak of Jesus, I'm going to live for Jesus, even if there's adversity. The second point that they want to pass on. The temptation to accommodate to the world's values is often a greater enemy to our faithfulness than external opposition. Does that make sense to you? Are you with me here? Do you agree with that? That often the real pressure that we face, the hard part is not 
people on the outside giving us a hard time. Often it's inside that, that we want to accommodate. Verses 14 and 15 from Jesus seem strange to us, but let me see if I can explain them. Here's what he said. Nevertheless, in spite of the fact that most of you are faithful, I do have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. He was a prophet who taught Balak, who was uh, the king of Moab and, and didn't like God's people, the people of Israel. Balaam taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. And then Jesus said, you're doing the same thing. Likewise, you also have those among you who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, I'm sure when you read that, you just, many of you just shake your head, what on earth? So let me just tell you a little bit about it. This story of Balaam and Balak is one of the most... Those who know it, at least engaging stories, unforgettable stories of the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 22, and I think it goes all the way to verse 24. Balak uh, was the king of Moab, and he was very upset because when the prophets, like Balaam, who was a real prophet, called and gifted by God, when they would, would prophesy blessings for the people of God, the blessings always came. And, and Balak said, I, I don't want this. So he, he decided that he needed to get those prophets on his side and even though Balaam uh, was a, a true prophet he also had this tug in his heart so that he could be bought out he really liked material things so here's what happened King Balak promised the prophet Balaam all the money and all the pleasures he could have if only he would uh, curse the Israelites rather than bless them well, the problem with King Balak is he didn't realize the power wasn't in the prophet. The power was in the God who had called the prophet, you see? So do you know what happened? Seven times Balaam tried to do it. And each time he tried to uh, pronounce curses against God's people, uh, God overwhelmed him and he changed his words so that he gave blessings and the blessings came. Well, I'll tell you, this really upset King Balak and it also upset Balaam. And one time, just trying to get out of there, um, his, his donkey fell on its knees, and it prophesied good things, blessings on the people of Israel, which gives me great encouragement when I, when I try to speak to you that, that whatever weaknesses I have, if God, if God can speak, well, you know, if God can speak through a donkey, there is hope for your pastor up here. <laughs> Well, Balaam still wanted this money from Balak. And the way that Jesus puts it here is he told him a better way to go at this. Israel would not be defeated by their own God turning against them, but they could be tempted to turn against God. So here's what Balaam had Balak send the most beautiful women of Moab into the men uh, of, of, of the Israelite armies, the places of Israel, and uh, tempted them to be unfaithful to God, to their wives, and to their families. And of course, as men always do, these men fought that temptation, right? They said things like, Oh, I've never met anyone who cares as much for me as these women of Moab do. This is really love. It must be from God. I feel so much for her. Here's what I'll do. I'll follow the Lord. But God, the Lord surely would not have me miss out on this kind of pleasure. He, he wants us to have that. 
Doesn't sound like anything that could happen to us, does it? And Jesus is saying that's what happened in Pergamum. See, they were still, in the book of Numbers, trying to say we belong to Jehovah. But they were going to live for themselves. They were going to not live for God. And, and Jesus is saying that's happening in Pergamum. And essentially, as I read it, this is what the people there were saying. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, why, why should we stay away from all these good things that are happening here in Pergamum? We live in a modern city. These old Jewish rules of being faithful only to our wives, that, that doesn't apply to us anymore. That's not what God would have us to do. So here's what we'll do. We'll keep going to church. But if we miss out on doing all this stuff that's happening in our culture, that would make us look weird. And we live in a modern world. They were, were saying, we got to fit in or nobody's going to listen to our witness if we're, if we're just strange people. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? So they claimed to be Christians, but they lived more in ways in keeping with the values of the cultures of their world. And, and the way this played out in Pergamum, as I see it, is that these many temples were there, were not just places of religious uh, gatherings, but they were places of entertainment. Um, one of them and I'll show you a little bit, the temple of Asclepius, and I'll show you one of the pieces, I've been there. This is one of the ruins that is there. Do you see that snake that is there? Um, that, that's the symbol of the god of healing, Asclepius. Let's show the next picture that comes from, those of you who are doctors, do you recognize that snake? It's, it's the American Medical Society. It's called the rod of Asclepius. Well, the temple of, of Asclepius was not only a place where they had religious activity, and that religious activity always involved prostitution and immorality. But it was also sort of a big resort place where you could go and have spas and, you know, healing. And, and also, these temples were places where the big uh, trade and crafts conferences were held. So that if you had your business, they would always be held in the temple. But if you go into the temple for, for your trade or for your craft, you had to participate in this as well. So what do you do as a Christian? Uh, many of them were saying, well, wait a minute. If we don't show up at our, at our trade conference, we won't have connections and our business won't thrive. And then when the pastor asks us to give generally, generously, we won't have anything to give. Can't you feel this? Even the excuses that you could make? Uh, the thought that if we don't accommodate, we'll not be able to give witness. We won't be able to support things. This is just the way we live. We live in, after all, in Pergamum. This isn't in Jerusalem anymore. Uh, I know the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be sexually faithful only within marriage, but that's, that's the old world that doesn't relate to us. Remember again, the Pergamon was a cool place to live. It was like Manhattan or Southern California. Aren't, the, aren't we, those are the two cool places to live in the U.S.? Fashion center, entertainment center, all the wealthy lived there. It was hard to be distinctively Christian. But the words that Jesus have are so sobering. Look at verse 16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is serious to him. So let me ask you um, do you ever feel the pressure to accommodate to our culture? Uh, 
we all do. I do as well. Perhaps not to speak of Jesus in this place. I, I, I've thought about it so many times. In school, it must be really hard. You know, if I speak too much or live too much for Jesus and don't do what everybody else does, I may not really have friends. Uh, I can see it as we get older. You know, if I don't show up at these things, I know all that stuff happens, but if I don't participate, I'll never make partner in the firm. I won't have the connections, you know, to be able to make the sales. I can't. Don't you feel this? I, I feel like that the temptation to accommodate comes about probably because of three reasons. One, survival. Uh, it just costs too much to be faithful to the name of Jesus. For them, it could cost their lives, and for us, it might cost our success. Right? The second one is acceptance. That we don't want to just be cut off by everybody else as just being a religious nut. <laughs> so survival, acceptance, and, and also in our culture, freedom. But God wants us to have fun. God can't be against this, this way of life. That's old thinking. Why should we deny ourselves these things? Jesus says, I know where you live. And how you live matters to me. I will give you what you need if you will be faithful. I will give you the strength to overcome temptation, but you must make a conscious commitment to living my way, to being faithful to my name. You know, I asked you to take out a, this sheet. What do you hear God saying to you today? Um, maybe this is the time to start thinking about what he might be saying. It, it could be that you're facing a really difficult time. You have to make a conscious choice. Will you be faithful to him or not? It might be that you already see, you know, this deep temptation we have to accommodate to the world around. My brothers there in China told me how hard that was for them to live distinctively Christian lives in the most difficult of times. And I tell you, I think we face that just as much, don't you? Which is the big question, why would anybody want to follow Jesus if it's that hard? And so I'll give you this last word. I see the time. Third proposal. It's hardly a sermon if you only have two points, don't you think? So here it is. Just mark this down. Settle in and see if you believe God when he says it. When we are faithful to God, we will find life now and forever. This is a constant theme of the book of Revelation. That when we are faithful, even though we feel challenges right now, we find the lives he made for us and made us for. Now, life isn't boring when we are faithful to Jesus. We find it now and we have eternal life too. And verse 17, let the one who has ears, and that's, I'm looking, most of you, if you have ears, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you'll be faithful, if you'll be an overcomer, two promises from Jesus. I'm going to give you some hidden manna, and I'm going to give you a white stone. I thought there'd be a woohoo, you know. <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard promised. I think I've talked to you about this before, but let me just mention again what this is. Cornola, your testimony affirms this so deeply. Hidden manna. In the Old Testament, they were going through the wilderness. And at nighttime, there was no food left. What were they going to do tomorrow? The next morning, manna would come. It was hidden on the night before. 
a provision from God when they most needed it. The rabbis took that and hidden manna became a phrase for those unforeseen, unexpected provisions of God. It's like when you don't have enough, a nickel for kerosene and somebody comes with a quarter and gives it to you. It, it's hidden manna. That, that's what that, have you ever had that happen in your life? When, when it just seemed impossible and, and God stepped in and, and, and provided, often through his people, um, often when you come to church. I can't tell you how many times people have gone through and, and said, Pastor, this was the very message I most needed to hear. Uh, one of my favorite ones was an athlete, a fellow coach with me uh, for my son's uh, soccer team, who finally, his wife got him to go to church. So when he came through that day, he was really upset with me. And he said, did my wife call you and tell you you had to preach about me all morning? <laughs> I, said, I said, no, 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 I don't even know what's going on. Uh, but God knows where you live. And if you'll be open to it, he will provide the message that you need, provisions that you need. As Cornola was giving her testimony, I, I was thinking, the person with the quarter, can't you imagine how we would think, what good can a quarter do? Why should I give a quarter to somebody who like that? Maybe they'd got themselves into that mess anyway. And after all, I need a quarter for these parking meters here in Pasadena. That's probably what I would think. And yet it became God's hidden manna. And what is happening is, Jesus is saying, yes, you will face very, very challenging times. But in those times, you will find that I am real. You will find that I provide. And your faith in me will not be this distant thing out there where you just sort of do religious stuff. It will be alive. I pray you'll experience hidden manna. You experience it when you are faithful to his name. Second phrase may even be more beautiful, this white stone. I mean, you can imagine scholars debate about this all the time. Do you, did they put the picture up? It's, only, it's just it's big enough usually to fit in the palm of your hand. Scholars debate about what that means. But my, my own thinking is that particularly because of the influence of Rome in the city of Pergamum, what it's probably talking about is that the emperor and sometimes the governor of, a, of an area would give a white stone to someone who would do a particular favor for him. And that white stone opened up the doors to anything you would want to go to in the entire Roman Empire. So, so that if, uh, if it were in our day, uh, you would go down to the Staples Center. Let's, let's just imagine that the Lakers will actually make the playoffs again. Let's just, I, I can see it. And it's the hardest ticket in town to get. You, you want to go. You go in and the person at the uh, gate there says, do you have a ticket? And you say, well, no, but I want to go to the game. But you've got to have a ticket. But no, I want to go, I'm going to go to the game. Finally, the ticket person gets upset and is going to call security over it. And then you say, oh, yeah, I don't have a ticket, but you know, I have this white stone. And that ticket person says, oh, come on in. And not only do you get to go in, you get to go to the best seat. You're going to be sitting right next to Kobe. And if the, if the Lakers are up by 30, you might get in the game. You'll just, you'll just have to see. Why does Jesus say something like this? It's because God is not a spoil sport. And if he sends faithful people into difficult places, 
There is a purpose behind it. You've got to trust Him. There's either a work He wants to do in your life or through your life to further His kingdom. You have to learn to be faithful until you see more than you see now. I will give you hidden manna. I will give you a white stone. You'll find your life now. You have joy forevermore. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? So here are the last words. I asked the pastors, what would you be disappointed in if I didn't say it? Here it is. Jesus gives only one commendation to this church facing difficult times. I know where you live and that you are faithful. It's remarkable. And they said, there is a need for Christians to be faithful in the most difficult places and in the most difficult times, no matter what it costs. We still have a need for Christians to do what the faithful ones in Pergamum did, to go and stay and give witness to Jesus in the difficult places, to work among the poor, to go into difficult occupations. For us, I think, not to withdraw, but to be a positive part of what's happening in the most densely populated part of L.A., just to our northwest, and the most uh, economically challenged place of all of L.A., just to our northwest. We, we need to be the light and to carry the light into Islamic strongholds. There is a need for Christians to lead and teach in schools and difficult professions. There is a need for us to be there even where Satan lives and where Satan has his throne. And if you'll make that commitment, uh, speak of Jesus and live faithfully to him. I just tell you, what you're going to hear is this, the voice of Jesus saying to you, I know where you live. I am there And if you will be faithful to my name, I will be pleased. Oh, Lord, help us to hear and obey. To his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer and then... As the music is going, take a few moments to write what you've heard God say to you today. Our Father, I pray we've been faithful to your word. Oh, Lord, I had those two weeks of experiencing the outpouring of your spirit in such powerful ways. Oh, pour out your spirit upon us. Father, we know that this happens when we simply say our trust is in you. Our faith is in you. We will be faithful to you. Father, where some of us are facing really hard times, I pray that we will know that you are a refuge and a strength in these times. Where many of us have been giving in to temptations to accommodate to our world. Father, we make a recommitment to living in ways faithful to your name. May we do so in such ways that people see you and are drawn to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.